Hi there, I'm Jared. There are a lot of ways to engage with us, but I wanted to take a moment today to thank you for listening here on the Harrisonburg Nazarene Church podcast. For more about the church, please check out our website, abeaconofhope.org. You can also catch us live on Facebook each Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. I'm Brian. For those of you who are new uh, at the church, welcome. Uh, Pastor Jim is on his way, too. That's Pastor Jim. And I first became acquainted with Clay Dyer several years ago. I was looking for some illustration that I could use for the men to demonstrate what a man of God is like facing challenges and obstacles. And I don't remember the circumstances specifically, but I found a piece that ESPN, Tom Rinaldi at ESPN, had done on Clay Dyer, who is a professional bass fisherman. I don't know much about professional bass fishing other than what I see in the store, but I watched his testimony, and it was powerful, literally life-changing. And so I showed it uh, to the men. Uh, I don't remember the context, but everybody felt the same way I did who is this guy? And Clay is from Hamilton, Alabama, so that immediately got Pastor Jim's. Pastor Jim believes Alabama is the only state. So, so that immediately got Pastor Jim's attention. He connected with Clay, and Clay, this is the second time he's been the primary speaker at our sportsman's dinner. I teach leadership at JMU, I think I can say it's very rare that a student can get out of one of my classes and not hear Clay's story. Um, He's a powerful man of God who has overcome obstacles but has not made his life about the obstacles but about victory in Jesus. And it is truly an honor to have. Would you welcome Clay Dyer? It's one of those things where you, you know, you hear of a famous person and you think, boy, it'd be cool to meet that person someday, but that'll never happen. And here he is. And so Jim thought that maybe the best way to approach this would be to do it kind of interview style. Clay's been the speaker for two nights. And so we thought maybe we'd ask him some questions that you might be interested in and hear his story uh, through that. So Clay, thanks again for being here. I want to go back to the start. Uh, in a moment of real honesty, your beautiful mom, who is beautiful, was asked about your birth. And through tears, she said it was a shock. And since then, you've talked often about your family and the strength of your family and the godliness of your family. So would you go back to your birth and talk about your family's impression of what happened and when you came into the world and how they've responded to it? Sure. They, um, I love how my mother tells the story. She was actually going to come up here with me this weekend because uh, after Pastor Jim and I had been uh, communicating for the last several months about this whole weekend, and she was actually going to come with me, and bless her heart, she was loading the car up uh, Thursday morning to come up and to meet us, and my grandmother was going to stay with my wife. And uh, on the way loading up that morning, she actually fell down the steps going in the garage and about broke her foot. So that kind of threw a kink in that, but... Uh, I love how she tells the story that um, after, you know, or during the labor delivery, the doctors came to her and said, you know, there's going to be something different about your son. We're not sure what, but there's going to be something different. 
And she said, after, you know, she delivered me and the doctors, of course, got me and cleaned me up and put me in a swaddling cloth and brought me to her, she said, it's not like the doctors handed me to her with an instruction manual that says, this is how you raise a child like this. Because I had one older brother, Chris, who's seven years older than myself. And what I praise God about, you know, through it all was where they could have took, I guess you could say, the easy way out. And um, they said, you know what, God has blessed us with a child and we're going to pray how to raise him, and you know, we're going to put it in the Lord's hands and, and, and just follow God's guidance. And uh, so praise God, that's where it all began. And, uh, but I, I love Mother saying, of, you know, it's not like the doctor handed you to me with an instruction manual. So um, they just started praying and trying to seek God's leadership. And uh, then, you know, about four years later, um, to kind of conclude your question there, uh, from my behalf, I remember looking out at other kids and other just, you know, adults, and I could see that they were different than me. So I, one night we were all sitting at home, and um, I remember asking Mom and Dad, I said, Mom and Dad, you know, I understood that God had made me that way because Mother never consumed any drugs or alcohol or did anything that would have been a medical explanation as to why Clay Dye was born, you know, what a lot of people would perceive as disabled or handicapped. So when I asked him the question of why did God make me this way, you know, I wasn't angry or mad at God. And a lot of times people in life, when they're dealt something, they're unexpected or something like that happens, the first thing they want to do is point at God and blame God and get angry at God. And, um, you know, I just asked her why God had made me this way or asked my parents. And they looked at me and they said, Son, you know, we're not sure yet why God made you the way he did, but what we do know, and I could see the, you know, the 100% belief and confidence in them, they said, what we do know is that God doesn't make mistakes. So, you know, that kind of, to me, I guess you say the first step of life, they instilled that in me at a very young age of, hey, look, God doesn't make mistakes. And I know that, as the Bible says, God makes each and every one of us perfect in his own image. And like Corinthians says, you know, God blesses each and every one of us with spiritual gifts to glorify and magnify him. Clay uh, has a book that uh, has been written about his life, and uh, it's called The View from Down Here is Not So Bad. Uh, obviously, when he stands next to you, he's looking up. And uh, so I had the privilege of reading the book, and in the opening chapters, it talked about how Clay got into school, and when he got into school, his Sunday school teacher, actually, who had retired from the public school system, went back and became his teacher's aide and uh, nurtured him through those years, and I'd like for him to talk about how she took care of him. She was, uh, Miss Nancy Logan was incredible. She was like a, um, another mother, if you will. In all honesty, she was probably tougher on me than my mother was. She was that type that, you know, she told me, she said, I'm going to love you, but she said, I'm, you know, I'm not going to do everything for you. And uh, she said, I want to teach you independence, and I want to teach you how to, you know, how to grow in, in God in that. And um, she was the type that, you know, anytime I was sitting there, you know, doing my work at school, for instance, and if I didn't know the answer to a question where I wanted to look at her and say, can you give me the answer? You know, she wouldn't give me that answer. But if I dropped my pencil on the floor or something like that, she was the first one to reach down and grab it, you know, to get it back to me. So she gave me that loving, nurturing that, like most any wonderful parent would do, but, you know, the loving guidance, if you will, of, of not doing it for me, which I praise God for, you know, looking back and, uh, and even now. But, yeah, she was very, very wonderful. She has gone on to be with the Lord at home and uh, at home in heaven now. But she was incredible, and she was... Um, in my opinion, um, I've always said that she was a leader. But in my opinion, you know, I've always believed there's two types of leaders. You've got your quiet leaders 
that what I call just get the job done. They don't want the recognition. They don't ask for it. They really don't even like it. And you got your other people that are more outspoken leaders that kind of can, uh, can herd the crowd, so to say, and be a shepherd of the sheep. And uh, she was kind of one of those quiet leaders that, you know, did it by example and, and did it out of the love of wanting to do it. And, you know, most leaders, whether they're more vocal or quiet, when they're true leaders, they don't do it for the recognition. They do it because it's the right thing to do. I know I tried to be a really good um, student, if you will, and a good person for Miss Nancy because obviously that was back before I knew the Lord as my Lord and Savior. And um, I tried to be that good little schoolboy for her. But, um, you know, at the same time, she was such a great leader that it made it easier on me to do that, and I could see what leadership, you know, was all about. And um, I've all, I tried to kind of take that and run with it because I've always said, um, my grandpa taught me this saying when I was a young kid. He said, you know, it's not always easy to do what's right. But when you do what's right, you'll be blessed. And that stuck with me for a long time of it's not always easy to do what's right. And that's kind of what Miss Nancy all these years, you know, and my parents just instilled in me. And that's what I tried to instill in those around me was, you know, where I could sit back and make excuses or whine and complain because I have a half an arm. You know, I chose to just basically you know, just really dig down deep and be one to never give up, just like Philippians 4.13, you know, states, if I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So I tried to be that leader to those around me, you know, even when I, I guess, honestly, I didn't even realize what I was being. <laughs> I was too young. <laughs> You're good at a lot of things, if you learn about Clay's. He's one of those people who's good at everything he tries, but your professional bass fisherman. You, I mean, that was your career. And so you obviously had a love for fishing, an expertise at fishing. My students, when they see your video, cannot believe that you could tie a thing with your tongue. <laughs> I use the common language because those of you don't have the knowledge I have of... But, but Clay will be out on the boat, he'll be fishing, and he does everything himself. And when it comes time to tie the thing at the end of the string, he does it with his... It's amazing. But I want you to tell the story about when you were 13 and you came to your parents and asked for a $700 <laughs> fishing rod. Did you well, tell the story? Yes, I'll be glad to real quick. And I've got to back up real quick and say you stated that perfectly when you said professional fisherman. Because if you look at my record the last two years, I've not been a professional catcherman very well. <laughs> well when it comes to fish. But as long as we can catch souls for Christ, hey, we'll, we'll take it, brother. But... Um, and, I, and I, 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 when you were talking about tying the thing on, yeah, whatever that was, that thing is called a lure. And thank God, in, in, in professional fishing, we don't use live bait or minnows. And <laughs> and while they are really good at catching more fish, considering I put all of them in my mouth to tie them on, I thank the Lord that we have the rule of not using any live worms because I'm not going to go there. But uh, but to tell you, to, <laughs> he said that'd be gross. Amen. <laughs> But, yeah, to tell the story, um, when I was about oh, eight or nine years old, um, I would see, you know, I remember coming home from church on Sundays, and the first thing I wanted to do while we were going to, you know, like most people do on traditional sides, you go to grandma's for dinner, you know, if you don't go to a restaurant. So we'd go to grandma's for dinner, and while they were finishing up dinner, I'd always go in there flipping on TNN and National Network because all the fishing shows and, and Bassmasters was on there. And um, so I'd watch those tournaments, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, you know, man, I'd love to be able to do that. And any time in a profession, or I say any time with myself, 
always thought, man, to catch those bass, you know, to do that, man, I've got I've got to have what everybody else has. I've got to have the big fast boats. I've got to have the best rods and reels and all that. And my dad was a golfer, and my brother was a golfer. My my brother actually golfed professionally, and um, used to kid my dad because my daddy and my brother playing golf was like me and daddy fishing. I'll just be real. Most time my brother could smoke my daddy in a game of golf, and if daddy fished with me, most time I beat him, you know, pretty much. And uh, so he would get in the boat with me, and but when he'd play golf, he would say. Okay, to hit that little white round ball, the farthest and the straightest, he thought that the more you spent on golf clubs, you know, meant the farther and the straighter you could hit it. So I adopted that same philosophy in fishing. And Lord knows how expensive fishing and golfing can be, kind of like hunting. But I, with that mindset, I would save up my allowance. I bought about six or eight rods and reels. And I rocked on there for a few years, and I got to be I was 13 years old at the time. Uh, about two weeks before my 14th birthday. Sitting at home one night, my parents had just got in from work, and my uh, mother was finishing up dinner on the stove, and Dad was doing what Dad normally did. was reading the newspaper, and he had ESPN on, which I knew in a subliminal kind of way meant leave me alone. I'm de-stressing, you know, from work. So I was sitting there reading through my Bass Pro Shops catalog, and uh, saw this rod and reel in there that ordinarily was like 700 bucks, but it was 50% off. So as a 13-year-old kid, your mind goes to turning. You know, most kids want hot rods or four-wheel drive. I was a redneck. I wanted a rod and reel. <laughs> well, I remember looking at, my, at that rod and reel, and I looked over at Daddy, and I said, Dad, I said, you know, my birthday's in two weeks. This rod and reel is 50% off. I said, what a great birthday present. Daddy said, son, how much is it? I said, 350 bucks. He said, son, I love you with all my heart. He said, but I don't care if it's your birthday or Christmas or what special holiday it may be. He said, I'm not spending that money. So being that loving 13-year-old that I was at the time, instead of shutting my mouth and taking no for an answer and respecting that authority, knew, you know, I had to keep pushing it. And I kept begging and pleading and trying to tell Daddy why I needed this rod and reel so bad. And when I realized that his blood pressure was about 600 over 400, and I realized that I was about to get my rear end tore up with a belt, I said, okay, I'm going to simmer down a little bit. So I just kind of sat over there, and I was watching Daddy the whole time. And when his blood vessels stopped bulging out the side of his head, and I realized his blood pressure was back down, I said to myself, you know what? I really believe I can get this. I may have to face some consequences, but it'll be all good. I'll get over the consequences. So before we go any further, for you young people out there, don't do this at home. <laughs> so I looked at him and I said, Dad. And boy, when I said Dad, he threw that newspaper down. He was hot. He was disgusted. He looked at me and he said, Son, I've done told you I'm not getting that rod and reel for you. He said, Now, that's enough. I said, But Dad. And when I said, But Dad, he gave me a look I'd never seen in 13 years of life. And I thought, Oh, dear God, what's fixing to happen? <laughs> and I, I looked at him and I said, Dad, I said, I want you to think about something. And then I got another look I'd never seen before. And I said, Dad, I said, I want you to think about all the money I've saved you in 13 years not having to buy me shoes. <laughs> and I said it, I confess. So I kind of looked at him, and he gives me this look like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> so by this time, my mother has came back in the living room from the kitchen. He looks over at Mother, and Mother kind of shrugged her shoulders. She says, what are you going to say to that? So the next thing I knew, he pulled the credit card out, and he handed it to me, and he said, Son, he said, order that rod and reel, and I better not hear another word out of you all night. So not only did I not get the belt, I got my rod and reel. Praise right. God.
as I read that story in his book, uh, I could just see the wheels turning in his mind before he ever went into the room. Uh, he'd already figured all of that out. And uh, the book talks about the fact that Clay literally became a natural leader among his peers because so many of the things in life he had to figure out, he had to figure out here. And he had to figure out how he could make them work. And yet, by being able to do all of those things, uh, during his teenage years, he still hadn't figured out how to control some of the things that were on the inside of him. And so after he got out of high school, uh, he met a young girl who had strong enough convictions to lead him uh, to a place where, in his heart, he realized that he needed help. And so I want him to talk a little bit about how what he thought might have been a heart attack ultimately became a heart change in his life. You know, I was one of those children, um, for lack of better words, I like to use this term in a comical way, but I was, I used to tell people I was a drug baby. You know, I was drugged to church. All my life, I was very blessed to have uh, grandparents and parents that taught me the values of, of living for Christ, of having that relationship with Christ, of going to church, of praying, believing in prayer, believing that prayer really works, studying God's Word. And uh, let's just be real, and I'm still, I'm not a real big reader. I read the Bible every day. I'm just not one to sit down and read books like most people are. I'm the type I want to see it visually. I'll watch videos. I'll listen to great pastors all day long. But outside of my Bible and, you know, a few select books, I'm just not a big reader, never have been. And um, so with that being said, all the years I was raised, despite the teaching, I was like that typical rebel child, you know, that I put on the face in front of everybody and made sure everything was all good. But deep down inside, there was a void in me that I didn't want anybody to know I had. And with that being said, for many years that I ran, you know, God was trying to bless me. God was calling me to him, but I rejected him. And um, I tried to think, you know, all through life that perseverance, determination, and willpower was all a man needed to get through life. And it seemed like it got to a point where obstacles were getting tougher and tougher and tougher in my life, in which I was that, never that person that needed motivation, to be honest. As my brother will tell you in the video, I was always self-motivated. So long story short, all through that, you know, having those qualities, which can be wonderful qualities, you know, the perseverance, the willpower, and the determination can be wonderful when used in the right way with the right attitude. And, um, but I didn't have the Christ-like attitude. You know, I was, um, I was all about clay. And so for years, I would turn, you know, to such things as, you know, the alcoholism, the, um, you know, just being real with you. We all know what teenage boys and hormones can be like. And uh, so I was that one that knew it all. You couldn't tell me anything. You know, I, I already knew it. And um, so it built up a lot of, you know, sinful things in my life, such as pride, um, the sin of the different addictions, you know, that I had, an addiction to pornography and different things. And with all that being said, you know, it literally took me 17 years or 18 years. I graduated May the 23rd, 1996 from Hamilton High School. And when this young lady, I'd known her for a few years. I knew her parents as I was a kid. But we never did date or anything. And when she called me up and asked me about going to a youth revival on Friday night, just being real, as an 18-year-old young man, single, you know, she had just turned 16, got in her car, and her parents trusted me enough with her that when she called to ask me about going to this youth revival, to me it was a, it was a, okay, here's a five foot, 320-pound, you know, cute girl that I've got a chance to go on a date with. And 
praise God, she was mature enough as a 16-year-old to know that Clay needed Christ. And she was mature enough to know how to handle it. And uh, so that morning, uh, you know, that week, everything seemed as close to perfect as possible, which, in all honesty, in my opinion, is what the devil tries to do a lot of times to tempt us and lure us away from going to Christ is he tries to make things, you know, seem real perfect and everything in our world when really, truly, it's a trap to lead us into his lair and uh, of his lies and his deception. So my life was as close to perfect during that week as I'd ever seen it. And that Friday morning when I woke up for the first time in my life, I woke up with the symptoms of a heart attack victim. And I was 18 years old. You know, I was a three-sport athlete in school. Um, I played basically everything, had to work out, had to do weights like all the rest of the players did. So I was thinking to myself, at 18 years old, being in the best physical shape of my life, you know, why am I feeling this way? And ironically, the right ear is the farthest from the heart, you know, with the heart being in the left center of the chest. And I find this very ironic, but being that that's the farthest from the heart, that was the ear that the devil was whispering into that day, and he, was, he kept whispering into my ear, saying, suck it up and be a man. And that's what I kept hearing repeatedly through the day. But in my left ear, which ironically is closer to the heart, what I kept hearing was the Holy Spirit speaking to me, which I didn't realize exactly how the Holy Spirit worked at that time, but it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me, saying, come to me and I'll make you a man. And so that all that day, I was dealing with flashbacks, if you will, of the destructive decisions I'd made and all that. And thinking to myself, you know, I remember sitting there thinking to myself, why am I doing this? Why am I living this way? You know, there's got to be greater. There's got to be better. And so I never did tell anybody, but I went with Leah that night to the church. And to this day, of course, let me, before I get to that point, we got to the church that night. I didn't even tell anybody how I was feeling. I just kept it myself, like most, you know, people who don't have the Lord do. And I sat back there in that back row of that Baptist church that night. And just conviction was on me to a point where I could not sit still. I mean, I still had the heart attack symptom, that excruciating headache and all that. And it was still, you know, the whole time it was the devil in this ear whispering, suck it up, be a man. It was the Holy Spirit in this ear whispering to me, come to me and I'll make you a man. So I sat there for most of that service that night. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I'd always reverenced in services and not went forward till the time of invitation. Or that's the way I used to believe. So I was like, man, I wish that pastor would hurry up and get up there because I'm, you know, it was a lot of just youth doing a lot of things. I remember thinking, I wish that invitation would come on because I'm, I want some Jesus. I remember thinking, I'm sick and tired of this way of life. And um, so the pastor got up and when he opened up the time of invitation, I slid out of that pew and I literally ran to the front and I just, I fell flat on my face at the altar and I just cried out to God and I said, Jesus, you know, I know I'm a sinner. And I said, Jesus, I believe that you died for me. I confess my sins to you, Jesus. And I said, you know, I believe that you died and you shed your blood to wash me clean of my sins. And the very next statement was obviously the statement that changed my life forever in the very best way. And I said, Jesus, you know, would you please come into my heart and cleanse me of my sins so that I can have that everlasting life and that home in heaven. And as I was quoting that last line of the sinner's prayer, the burdens, the, all of the, the heart attack symptoms physically were leaving my body about as fast as what you can snap your fingers. And they were replaced with, a, as I was telling them at the dinner last night, it was replaced with a peace, love, and a hope that I've tried for 21 years to describe. But in no way 
with the English vocabulary or any other Webster's Dictionary or anything to me can you describe it um, and do it justice. It's something I tell people, if you're lost and you don't have Jesus, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you do have Christ, and you know, being saved is, yes, there's our emotions involved. But I know as for me, my encounter with Christ was, it was so much more than an emotion. It was an encounter and it was an experience. So I tell people, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's because you've never had that experience. And when you've had that experience, you know what I'm talking about. To this day, my wife, when we go back to Hamilton, to my hometown, and we go back to my old home church, if we see Leah and her husband and her children, my wife, till to this day, goes up and hugs her neck and says, thank you for leading my husband to Christ. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask you a question that a student of mine asked me, and I couldn't answer it. Uh, as I said earlier, I show that ESPN Peace, I teach leadership, and it's, to me it's a wonderful example of both being an inspirational leader and overcoming obstacles as a leader. And so I show it a lot. And I showed it one time, and when it was finished and the class was over and we had talked about it, I had a student who had a pretty significant disability, and she came up to me after and just began to sob, uh, I, I, just uncontrollable. And when she finally calmed down, she said, but I don't understand what he does when it just gets too much. I thought of the Galatians 6 text, don't grow weary in well-doing. And what she was saying was, you never escape it. It's always with you and always on you. And people are always looking at you and having expectations. And her question was, how does he not just get tired of it all? And so that's what I'm going to ask you. Well, thank you for the question, brother. That's a great question. Because I know for me, my wife will tell you this, that nobody has higher expectations for me than I have for myself. And um, I expect myself to live to a certain standard. And, um, yes, she is correct. And it seems like it's a never-ending thing. But it's like, I, I look at it like this. I'm very careful how I say this. But if the devil is not attacking you, it's because he's already got you. And to me, when I always say, I love it when the devil is trying to attack me because I know I'm doing something right. I know I'm, I'm pushing towards Christ. And it takes, it's a very bold statement I'm about to make. But... To me, when you're living for Christ and you're doing the right thing, Satan's always after you. And me and my father-in-law used to have a conversation about that. And he said, son, he said, he's never going to quit attacking you. But, you know, I'd rather, when you live for Christ, there is a passion. When you're truly a child of God, there is a passion about you that you want to serve him so much. And you want to do everything you can to magnify and glorify his kingdom that that ought to be your utmost passion in life. And that's obviously why I do what I do. As I was sharing with the group last night, you know, regardless of how many tournament wins I may or may not get in my career, regardless of how many tournament winnings, accolades, what have you, to me it's about, and me and my wife talk about this all the time, you know, we're a picture of men. And when I'm out there in that boat, if I find out that, and, and, I, and I ask my anglers this all the time, they get in the boat with me. Within the first few minutes, of, if I've never known them, I'll ask them, do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? And you can imagine the looks I get. And I'll be honest with you, when they're atheists or when they're non-believers, they look at me and they say, well, actually, I'm an atheist. I'm like a pit bull on a chain with a stake hanging in front of me. When they look at me and tell me I'm an atheist, it just turns the fuel and the fire that much hotter. And I'm just like, oh, baby, here we go. You know, I'm about ready to tear the tree out of the ground, you know, because I don't, it's my passion and I don't care. I know people tell me I'm nuts. I know I'm nuts. It's all good. <laughs> but 
it's my passion that I want to take my last breath knowing that I've done everything I can do to lead any lost soul to Jesus Christ. And, you know, when my day comes and I'm in, and I'm, you know, me and my wife had talked about it, I told her, I said, I don't want a casket. I said, that's not me. I said, you know, that ain't the way I want to be remembered. I told her, I said, baby, I said, you can cremate me. I said, you go to our favorite grass bed at Lake Gunnerful. We like the frogfish. And you say in the name of Jesus, and you spread my ashes, you know, if I go before you. And, but I want my legacy to be, you know, as great and wonderful as the accolades are, I want my legacy to be that when somebody comes up to honor that, you know, I want my legacy to be I want somebody to look at me and say, you know what, that man right there was like David, you know, in, second, in Samuel. About that, that guy's David, he's a warrior for Christ, and he took his last breath trying to leave every lost soul. And with that being said, I, I wanted to finish up that question like this. All week this week, David and um, Obed-Edom have been in my spirit. And because I believe in my heart and all the people in the Bible, you know, those were two great leaders of the Bible. You know, Obed-Edom was the type of man that he just wanted to do whatever he could do for Christ. Didn't matter what it was. He didn't want the recognition. He just wanted to be a servant. And David, to me, is one of my heroes in the Bible because, like you were saying about the young lady, and facing adversities and facing obstacles, anybody that's ever studied the Bible knows about the story of David and Goliath. And I've always tried to be like David because when you live for Christ, you're going to have a lot of Goliaths in your life whether you live for Christ or not. And those Goliaths are going to try to intimidate you. They're going to try to destroy you. And, you know, I think too many times when, in life when they have an adversity, they focus on the adversity instead of focusing on, and they blow that adversity up and get intimidated by it instead of focusing on how big their God is that can help them overcome that adversity. And one reason why I like David, I've always said this about David, and Pastor Jim, I, to me, I love this because I think David, when he saw Goliath, Goliath had all that armor on, and he had all the weaponry. And David said he didn't want to go to battle with the armor on because he wasn't used to them. He said he wanted to go to battle because he knew God had his back. Yeah. So when Goliath started at him in, in, you know, in the Valley of Elah and he started running at him, David didn't back down and get scared and get intimidated. David didn't look at how big his adversary was. David looked at how big of an opportunity he had. And that opportunity was a simple forehead that was, you know, exposed. And that, in a nutshell, is how I approach life, you know, is where I could whine and complain when adversities hit. I just pray and I say, God, this is another opportunity we got to whip the devil. Let's go. <laughs> We're headed to the home stretch. I, I just, I want to ask a question and have you both answer it. So maybe, Jim, give Clay a break and you answer it first. I have a feeling. I, I know one of my, as you talk, I'm thinking, I just don't have that. Clay has more guts than I'll ever have. He's smart. He can talk. He can tell a story. He's brave. He's overcome things I'll never be able to overcome. And so I, I'm worried about people sort of putting Clay and his passion. He's up here and I'm going to be happy down here. What would you say to people who look at very well-known men of God who really have courage and live their lives and preach to people in the boat? And what would you say to people in the audience who would disqualify themselves because they don't see themselves as a Clay Dyer type? First, Jim, you answer it, then Clay. Yeah, the reality is, uh, you know, there are people, and this is not an excuse, but there are people that are 10 talented, people that are five talented, and, uh, you know, for whatever reason, God gives us the armor that we need to wear uh, for the lives that we live. And uh, 
you know, for Clay, God has obviously given him an armor that uh, maybe some of us will never wear. Yet, you know, at the same time, all of us are called to be witnesses, representatives, ambassadors for Christ, to tell our world about what Jesus has done for us. And um, I believe it's probably the best way I've ever heard it said is that you always talk about the things that you love. Uh, you know, I love to talk about my grandkids. I love to talk about my family. I love to talk about, you know, different things that are a part of my life. But as a believer, if I have the relationship that Clay's talking about, I also love to talk about Jesus. I love to talk about what he has done in my life and how, you know, at the age of 18, like Clay, uh, I realized that, you know, there were some areas in my life that I couldn't get a hold of. And he became my rescuer. He saved me from myself. Uh, and as life has built itself over and over, you know, I, I, last night I wrote down uh, on the note for the closing part of the evening, unashamed. Uh, in Romans, you know, Paul uh, says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, uh, chapter 1. But then he says in chapter 10, whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. And uh, what a privilege it is for us to... Uh, represent uh, the life and the name uh, and the mission of our Lord. Uh, there is no greater calling in all of life than to be called to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, and so if, I, if he's a passion of my life, uh, Clay mentioned uh, David, you know, being one of his heroes. Uh, we know David was a man after God's own heart. Uh, and when you have that kind of a heartbeat, uh, it, it's almost impossible for you not to have it come out. You know, uh, we used to sing the song, There's Honey in the Rock, My Brother. Well, and that's an old song, so some of you young people never know it. Uh, but the rock was the old stony heart of man, and the honey was the grace of God coming out of the life. And so I, I just think that, you know, when world squeezes us, that Jesus should come out. Amen. So, Clay close us here, first by answering that question. What do you do with people who say, I just don't have the courage, the smart, I just don't have what you have, one. And then close by thinking about people in the congregation who didn't attend the Sportsman's Dinner and may never hear from you again. What would you say if you only had one opportunity to speak with that person? Absolutely. So, so two questions to close with. Absolutely. If people say to me, you know, I don't feel like I have what you have, I say this. You know, God makes each and every one of us perfect in his own image. I heard an evangelist tell me this one time. It's a very dear friend of mine, just a huge man of God. He said, don't try to be what somebody else is. Be what God's called you to be. And, you know, sometimes it takes a little while to figure out what that is. But if you try to be what somebody else is, it never works. That's not the way God created you to be. So be what God has created you to be. Amen. And with that being said, I always, I always say it like this. Um, you know, I know I always want to, I pray that I make the impact that I want to make. You know, and that's the impact to magnify God's kingdom. And I want to say this morning, maybe you came in here, maybe you did hear about that I was going to be here and I was a professional fisherman. Maybe you came in here this morning like I did for many years of church, believing in God and going to church but not having that relationship with Christ. Well, I hate to, I hate this, but I'm going to be blunt about this. You can go through life believing in God and go through life going to church, but my friends, that doesn't get you into heaven. And that also, you know, if God's not in it, God can't bless it. And the only way God can be in it is you'd have that relationship with his son. 
And if you're here this morning, maybe you've been to church your whole life. Maybe this is your first time ever. But maybe you've believed in God and you've been to church, but you've realized, you know what? I've never prayed the sinner's prayer. And I don't have that relationship. And we couldn't close down the service without giving you just a moment to respond to that. And we want to give everybody that opportunity. Um, so that being said, if everyone would just bow their head, close their eyes. Christ knows about where you're at. He knows who you are. If you came in here this morning and you said, you know what, Clay, I don't have that relationship with Christ. And I need that. I want that. If that's you this morning, just real quickly, if you'll just slip up your hand right where you're sitting, just so I can see you. Praise God. God bless you for your honesty, sir. Anybody else? Let me see one hand so far. Two hands. God bless you, young lady, for your honesty. Anybody else? Would it be anybody else? Two hands so far. Anybody else? We'll give you just a moment. Would it be anybody at all? Simply slip up your hand just so I can pray for you. I see your hand, ma'am. God bless you for your honesty. Anybody else? I see your hand, sir. God bless you for your honesty. I see the hand over here to the left. Anyone else? Anyone at all? Christ knows who you are. I want you to pray after me what I pray aloud. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for me, that you shed your blood for my sins. I believe you paid the ultimate price on the cross at Calvary. Lord Jesus, would you please come in my heart, cleanse me of my sins, and bless me with a relationship with you so that I can have that home in heaven for eternity. Father God, we come to you right now. We just thank you, Jesus. We praise you for each and every one of these souls that have been won into your kingdom. We praise you, God, that these souls are souls that the devil's hell will never be able to get. God, I pray right now that you bless each and every soul that's just accepted your son, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior. I pray, God, that you be with them and bless them. God, manifest your spirit upon their life. Give them the strength, the love, the peace, the courage, and the wisdom. God, just to be able to draw closer to you. God, be so real in their life that they say to themselves that had to be God because it couldn't be anything else. And God, we're going to be careful to give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory for everything that you've done and everything that you're going to do in our life. For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Isn't he a wonderful fisherman? Pastor Adrian, it's coming. I kind of like this stool. I feel taller. <laughs> well, let's give Clay another hand. We've loved having him with us this weekend. Thank you, Clay. You're towering over me up there, so just remember that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, church, I hope your heart's been touched today. I know it's been blessed if you've been leaning in. And there's new life in Christ happening in this room today in this room throughout the weekend. Remember, in January, we were talking about what it means to be the church, and we talked about worship. And this morning, you could not have seen a better example of what worship looks like. No matter who we are, no matter how God's created us, wherever he places us, we're going to give him glory. <laughs> and so today, you've been given a perfect illustration of that. And for that, we're grateful, Clay. And so, Lord, we pause for a minute. 
just to recognize how much you must love us that you sent Clay Dyer here this weekend. I don't know in the room today, some of us maybe we came in not feeling so great about who we are and how you've created us, and maybe you've challenged us today through the testimony of Clay. Some of us, Lord, we're not really being worshipers. We're not really in the places you've planted us in the schools where we go and the campuses and the jobs. Lord, we're not really being obedient to your call. And maybe you sent Clay Dyer here this weekend to wake us up. We thank you for that. Some of us came in the room feeling hopeless today and you loved us enough on this Sunday in February to send Clay Dyer here to remind us that we are dearly loved. So I pray we would not miss this moment. We thank you for Jesus. Because of Jesus, we can have such a hope today. And we ask that we would leave this place today being your church, wherever you send us, wherever we go, Lord, being your people for such a time as this. Our hearts are full, Lord, and we're so grateful to have been in your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You're dismissed. Thank you again for listening here today. If you have any questions at all, feel free to reach out to us at info at If you happen to be in the Harrisonburg, Virginia area, we'd love for you to join us at 1871 Boyers Road in Rockingham, Virginia. We meet every Sunday morning at 9 and 10.30 a.m. and then at 11.45 in Spanish. If you enjoyed the podcast today, please be sure to subscribe in order to get updates and new episodes. 